0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Replatform Podcast. It's just me today as James was unavailable, um, but I'm joined by Alex O'Brien, who is the co founder of we make Websites um, and someone that I've known for many years through e com generally, and back in the day, the London kind of e com and Shopify community. Um, a few about six months ago, we had Piers, Alex's co founder, on, um, and he's been on before as well. And I think he's got the top two episode slots for a number of listens. So it'll be interesting to see if you can. Uh, you can beat or compete no, no, with him. no pressure yeah, yeah. Um, and today alex is going to talk about or we are going to have a discussion around shopify components and what that means for shopify and the industry and you know agencies like we make websites the general direction of travel of shopify and then lastly a bit about web3 which alex has some very strong and controversial uh, views on um so to start off with alex can you um give us a bit of an intro on kind of your background your role at we make websites we make websites as
1: well yeah yeah hello everyone my name's alex uh and i'm co-founder as, as paul said at we websites so we're um, one of the big shopify agencies so the bigger brands on shopify so mid-market and enterprise those are the builds that we do design build optimize um most of our clients are in the us and the uk a few in europe as well uh, and our team is spread around north america and uk and we've been going over 10 years um, and now we're part of a bigger group called bond group so no longer independent. Um and um my interest in Shopify comes from I, I'm a developer by a background and, and a, as I think a lot of the Shopify agencies um began as like developers and designers that were passionate about what they did and ended up growing into something bigger and that's what happened to us as well.
0: Right. And um so the first question, so as I mentioned earlier, Shopify components is going to be a big topic for this discussion. Um mm. And I guess, but, you know, there's a lot of um, different views around the industry, around what Shopify components might mean for other platforms and, you know, kind of, I guess, like uh, differing views around it being more of a marketing push versus like the true direction of the platform. Um, what's your view on it? And how do you feel
1: that it will be used in practice in years to come? So... Like you, I was in New York for NRF and the big sort of splash that was this announcement with you know cover of the Wall Street Journal and lots of big events and, and so on. Um, I do think it's important to say first that everyone seems a bit confused about what exactly it is. And I think that is because it is really a marketing play, um, which isn't to say that's a bad thing. I think it's much needed. But if you go through, you know, they've sent a few sort of decks and briefings around it and... Uh the basic idea is they want to enter the composable space with a bit more aggression. So they' you know obviously commerce components is in the name. But if you look at the list of components, you know, it's headless SDK, it's order management, payments platform, product catalog, B2B, um, customer data su- subscription. So all stuff it does already, but broken out into separate APIs. Um, which I do think is does have an appeal. And and the one of the events I was at had, you know, Accenture there and like Digital and all that those type of like enterprisey consultancies. So I think it's smart and it actually solves a big problem for us, which is when when we pitched big brands uh, back in the day in New York, you know, we w- would go and get the subway and you'd see an ad for you know uh, Shopify, which was like talking about hey get started on shopify with your first sock business or whatever right which is not the messaging that you want when you're talking to like a hundred million dollar brand so i think it helps us there to have a separate position uh, in the market so technically i don't think it's a great deal to take in they've listed a lot of api limits um and things like that they've also added this professional services team which is interesting um so they are basically human beings you can talk to if you pay enough that will make things possible on shopify which is helpful because often when you're talking to enterprise brands, they are a little less willing to bend their requirements to what Shopify does, which can be a barrier to adoption. So I think if was those people that are able to make little tweaks and so on for them, then that's going to make a big difference. So I think that's quite welcome. Again, we don't know how it works yet. And we are you know, pestering our partner manager to find out how what exactly this looks like. Um, but good on them for announcing it. I do think it's going to help. And Was that your read of it?
0: yeah absolutely i think um i mean like you yeah, i think we i i'm intrigued by it more than anything else i think it's a really good move you know there's i think the interesting thing and this kind of eats into the next question a little bit but there's a bit of a battle between shopify and commerce tools in my view and i think you know both of them probably wouldn't admit it but you know the high end of uh shopify you know commerce tools is a bit of a brand you know the whole mac piece is talked about by certain people and you know again very like present very marketing orientated but um i think there's like a risk for shopify that platforms like commerce tools and maybe particularly commerce tools because there's so much hype around them and there's so much association with enterprise and you know scaling tech it feels like they could start chipping away at some of those brands and you hear rumors that you know certain brands are going to move to commerce tools but i think it's probably in a lot of cases for the wrong reasons so i think shopify needed to do this to essentially just have positioning um that prevents uh, CTOs and you know incoming CTOs and head of engineering whatever else thinking that they need to you know invest everything in microservices oriented platforms. So yeah, that's kind of my view on it. I think it's a good move. I think they're probably you know probably being moving in this direction anyway, but I think they have to bring something to market. Um, so I guess the next question, so I've got a bit of a sub question actually like in terms of like, you guys do a lot of headless. You're pretty early to it. Um, like, are your team excited by this? Do you think it? Do you think like from what you do know already? Like, is it is uh, like? Do you think it will give you more freedom, more flexibility? Like, will it solve problems?
1: So my relationship with uh, composable headless, you know, API first, whatever you want to call it, is complicated. So. I I think that there is flexibility there, but you know I've been doing this long enough to remember um, three monolithic days when you had to worry about you know caching rates and connecting APIs and uh, data freshness and all this stuff, which thankfully was basically commodified and eliminated when you have got these huge platforms like Shopify and Squarespace and. Everybody else at WordPress and Drupal that we're all you know, monolithic, which has become a bit of a negative word, but I think it's a great thing. It means a front-end developer doesn't need to know anything about data structures and caches and all that kind of stuff. And we're kind of throwing that away with the you know, rather abstract notion of flexibility uh, and adaptability. So, and I have invested in these companies and you know, I'm a fan of when they work and we've built headless sites that I'm very proud of. So I'm not... Um, against it by any stretch but the use case the analogy i always use is it's like building your own house instead of moving into one like it it is definitely if you can uh if if you need to do it and if you have the expertise to do it and if you can afford it then that's great and you might get a lot out of it but most people are fine moving into a house that already exists and they get a lot of benefit out of that um so that's the analogy i think Shopify's response to it. So years about five years ago when this was this hype was starting to happen. Um I saw Toby talking about it and he said, We've had a storefront API for 10 years. So this must have been 2018, yeah, for 10 years. And um, you know, therefore we're headless. And it would felt a little bit um defensive. You know, and I think the reality is, first of all, that API isn't very good, and uh, doesn't give you a lot of features of Shopify, which are powerful, like um, checkout gating and queuing. You know, if you've got huge amounts of traffic, uh, anti-bot detection, and some of the really fancy features of Shopify, you don't get. So it was almost like they were kind of trying to put you off doing it. Um, and I think there's been enough, you know, money gone into to Headless uh, from the VC world to make the hype a little bit real. And so Shopify finally bent to that kind of um, hype and come up with this, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think in the non-zero rate interest era, it'll be interesting how many brands actually care about trying to do something novel with their architecture. and actually just want to go back to a store that just works. Um, so that's the feeling I get. The team's excited. I mean, New Tech's always interesting. I think as an agency, it's always interesting and normally quite profitable to do new stuff so that's good whether or not it's suitable for most brands I think that's a bigger harder question
0: yeah absolutely I think I've got pretty similar views to you and you know as a consultancy we see quite a lot of failed or either failed headless projects or failed like you know truly composable projects where people essentially invest a lot of money and then end up going back to a Shopify or a big commerce or you know more simple fast product and I think the other thing is those that don't necessarily do that there's a lot of regret often as well and there's a lot of like you know brands with non-technical teams that just you know slow down their progress through their roadmap and you know can't trade the site as effectively etc um and i think it just you, yeah. you know just changes what people are able to work on so i think there's pros and cons to it and yeah it's just i think we so like particularly you know mac and you know all the platforms like there's just so much marketing and bias and yeah that's my only thing that i have against the movement but i think you know there's, yeah places where or times that makes sense times that doesn't make sense
1: i think one thing that i've come to conclude is that most brands e-commerce brands should not be tech companies and probably shouldn't have a cto not a full-time cto anyway and so you know there are cases where that's true, but I think a good flagship example of that is Glossier, which you know built their own platform for years, and now they've just moved to Shopify. And I just think it, uh, an, an econ brand uh, its competency is obviously product and brand and, and and positioning, and maybe a bit of sort of supply chain as well, and two data. So having first party data on customers, and therefore getting high lifetime value out of that. It's not really being a technology company, and and I think with these more complicated stacks you risk getting into that territory. Now if you're like a massive multi-brand retailer, then maybe there's a bit more justification for it. But for most of the brands we work with that are more like a brand selling online rather than um a retailer or like multi-brand, there's not that many cases where you would go composable, I don't think. Yeah, see. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Attract your complete product discovery growth engine. Create relevant shopping experiences that convert into sales and grow online revenue with personalized search, merchandising and recommendation solutions powered by AI. Find out more at attract.com. Next question. So when we were in New York, I know you went to a few kind of events and meetups with senior Shopify people. Um, So staying on the theme of um, components, do you have a view of how they might price it? So... Like, I guess, like my assumption was it might be more order based or you know, API based.
1: Do you have a view around? Uh, so they they say it's going to be usage based, that's another thing that we didn't get an answer to, and we are still (laughs) asking. They said it's going to be more expensive than plus, which is funny because you're kind of getting less, right? Theoretically, so I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Um, so we don't know. And as soon as we know, we'll get that out. But it seems like, you know, and I don't think this is a bad thing necessarily, but it seems like they were just ready to r- roll this announcement and decided to go ahead anyway, but hadn't quite finalized what they are actually doing, which I don't think that's bad. Like, I'm glad that they're hustling a little bit and, and, and shipping stuff. So uh, I don't know. But no, we don't know what it costs. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so next question. So you've obviously been in the Shopify space for a long time. Uh, probably the longest of anyone I know. Um, And, you know, the whole space has changed dramatically over the last five years. And recently we've been doing a bit more in the US where it feels like, you know, it's particularly going crazy. And, you know, so many brands are moving over now from like the enterprise or, you know, yeah, the enterprise essentially. Um, What's your view on the ecosystem and kind of where Shopify is going this year? Kind of,
1: yeah, Mm. what's your view on kind of Shopify? So, so that trend is interesting um, because obviously an economic downturn isn't great in from, in most situations and everybody's feeling the pain a bit. But an interesting thing is you do get enterprise brands that start saying, hang on a minute, why are we spending so much on you know Commerce Cloud or Magento? And maybe they start looking at Shopify. So you get a speeding up of the movement of enterprise and Shopify. So we're seeing seeing a bit of that obviously everyone's watching their budgets and that means maybe we platforms that would have happened might not happen. It means clients that are on retainer are looking for more justification or more value in what they're doing, which is good. They should always be asking that, but it seems a little bit more pertinent now and we're getting pushed a bit more on like, you know, what have you guys actually done shipped this month, which is good. And like, I think, like I say, zero interest rates meant that we all got a little bit um, free and easy with like how we spent time and how we spent money and everything. And I think it's kind of good that everybody's tightening up a little bit. So agencies are going to have to show value in a way that they probably didn't have to in the sort of COVID era where we were all just um, sort of riding the gravy train. Um, consolidations happened a lot. So obviously when we started off, the Shopify ecosystem, one of the things that's great about it, like I said, is there's a lot of designers, developers basically a bunch of weirdos running companies that are lovely people. And we were all very friendly from the beginning and kind of grew up together. Now you're getting consolidation. So you had Accenture acquiring The Stable, which included BVA, which was one of the, like, the big independent shop agency from the beginning. Um, most of our competition have joined large groups. We've joined Born and TechM. And I think that was always coming. And the question for us was, do we start buying companies or do we join a bigger group? In the end, we joined a bigger group. So I think you'll see more of that. And um, I think that's interesting. That's a good thing. It's just a sign of maturity for our ecosystem, I think. Um, so I don't think things are slowing down. And anecdotally, you know, I get asked a lot about, you know, Shopify's future and and, and um, trends there. And anecdotally, it's not slowing down, right? It's like the brands we see coming in the door, and I'm sure it's the same for you. The brands we see coming through the door are bigger and better than ever. Um, there, isn't a comp- there isn't an alternative, really. And I know, like you say, a commerce tool is you know punching upwards a little bit you you know for a bit big commerce seemed to be doing okay and that seems to have gone off the boil a little bit now um but it doesn't seem like really there's a strong competitor at the minute
0: yeah i agree with that i think the um the point that you made around, you know, brands moving from Salesforce in particular at the moment is definitely something we've seen. I think the smaller brands, uh, you know, don't have ridiculously high OpEx costs and don't have like a real need to re-platform. Um, are, you know, holding off, like you say. But I think one thing that we've definitely seen is even more complex businesses moving from the SOPS to Salesforce's, or um, like getting CapExes signed off because the OPEX cost is just ridiculous. So I think that'll be, yeah, continued trends this year. It feels like there's less projects around, but the ones that are happening for, you know, the likes of you guys are definitely bigger. That's like what I've seen. Um, So next question. So I get, well, it's kind of a very similar question. So that's kind of the ecosystem, but what about kind of changes to Shopify Plus in particular? Um like what kind of newness do you think we'll see this year? Where do you think we'll see them uh, kind of investing development resources? Um, obviously, like the big one that I think has, you know, improved a lot over the last couple of years, but still needs more work is the international side. Like, do you think they'll finally mm. start to kind of nail some of that? Like, what do you expect them to release some work on this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um I hope so. You're right. that The international piece never quite got right. And that's always been our thing. So we started off in the UK and Europe. So every brand basically sells in different languages and currencies. And it's less common in the US because you can be so big in US dollars and in English only. So we've always done international Shopify and it, you know, you've always had to kind of work around or, or get it to work a certain way. It seems like they get in there. So we just launched Markets Pro, which seems a bit more flexible and finally works the way that a proper brand would work in terms of international. Because their first rollout was like this kind of big tech kind of hubris where it's like, we'll just build something that we think, you know, is the way people should run an international business. But, you know, if you're already an established retailer, selling so you several countries and you, you're not going to change how you do pricing strategy or whatever to use a percentage or use a spot FX rate. So all that stuff, it took them a long time to get around to. It always felt like multilingual was like, um, it was always bolted onto core a little bit. And I think they're getting closer now to making that a part of the core architecture, which is good. Um, when I was in New York, I saw an interesting talk by Glenn Coates, who is VP of product. Uh, he was actually the founder of Handshake, you know, which they acquired like two or three years ago. So they put him in VP of product position, which I think is good because... He's a hustler, he's a founder, he's clearly very knowledgeable about e-commerce, uh, computer science background. So, you know, the real deal. And he he uh explained six um principles of product at Shopify, which I thought were interesting. So Shopify is fast, always available and great was the first one. And um, he had a good quote, which I agree with. I think it comes from Toby. There is no good software that is not fast, which is such a good quote. So um so that was our first principle. Shopify converts better and makes more money. Second more. Third, Shopify keeps our business cutting edge. Fourth, Shopify scales from Hello World to Global Empire. Five, Shopify is perfect for the web. Six, best app ecosystem and developer experience. So those are my notes on it. And um, I mean, that's a good set of principles. It does seem like they're going back to basics a little bit in terms of it almost became a running joke. The stuff got announced at Unite and then wasn't announced until the next, yeah. even the one after, right? You've been waiting two years sometimes for stuff to be released. And I think, again, zero interest rate era, loss of hiring, loss of expansion. And we were all, um, w- in whatever way, we were all making the most of that. But now things are getting a bit more lean, right? And what happened to I like, go back to, hey, what actually works here and what's important? So I think there's a very long way of answering your question. I think this year you'll see them shipping a lot more and shipping stuff that's actually useful and that we're asking for and things like this commerce components announcement is a little bit of like bending to the real world, like bending to what are people asking for and let's just give them it. Um, so hopefully it should be a good year for agencies and partners and they will be announcing stuff that we can please clients with.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I had another question that I think we've kind of covered around, you know, demand for replat, around replatforming Shopify essentially. So I've changed it to be more B2B focused. So, obviously they released the kind of new b2b offering uh, late last year have you seen much demand around it like do you see a lot of big brands or like not necessarily even big brands but do you see a lot of genuine kind of b2b businesses moving to shopify
1: or scoping shopify out? um not as many as i'd like so what we tend to get is big businesses that have a B2B operation and they're still doing it in, you know, with these spreadsheets or something. And we help them like get it on Shopify, but we normally build them a second store that we build around wholesale. So, you know, it's got a password protection on it. Maybe it's got like a table of prices instead of, you you see the full SKU matrix like a product. You might have a checkout that includes purchase order rather than credit card payments, that type of thing, which normally gets the job done. Shopify have had like two or three iterations at doing a B2B product. And none of them, again, they're like international. None of them have quite done what people actually, the way people actually run these parts of their businesses. Um, so I think they get in there and I think they will get there, but we still take that other route of, you know, and plus you get 10 stores anywhere in the price, anywhere in the price. So we we'll just use one of those the B2B store. It gives them a bit more flexibility. And, and often design-wise, it's things they want to do differently as well. Or they might have weird requirements like, oh, you can only buy in blocks of 8 or 12 or whatever. So we can build all that stuff in on the front end.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I've um, I've played around with it a bit, and um, I think there's a good core there for them to build on. I think the other thing that obviously it's built for B2B, but having price lists within the core of Shopify, I'm hoping will enable them to build out more functionality around that and kind of, you know, the Magento-style kind of customer groups and allow for more, like, handling of multiple price lists essentially and proper discounting as well so it'd be interesting yeah. to see how that progresses um, so i guess the obvious topic uh for me to talk about having you on the podcast um is web free and i think you were very keen to touch on it um, and you've had you know you've posted a lot on linkedin about it and i know you've wrote a lot of pretty controversial blog posts over the last couple of years on kind of the true value proposition of web three. Um, so what's your view now? You've been a cynic for a while. Like, has it changed? Like, do you see any genuine kind of e-comm use cases? And do you see that changing over the next year or
1: two? Um no. So I'll give <laughs> I'll give you my web three spiel. Um and you know, I think the hype has died off a little bit, but hopefully we can kill it dead. So um So first of all, you know, Web3, it's it's a a loose term. It's basically anything that uses a blockchain. And there's always a bit of hand-waving around this concept about what exactly it is, but, you know, that's the gist of it. So I have a few problems with it. Um, So the first one is the technology. So the technology is terrible. Technology in general always makes things faster, cheaper, and better. Um, And in Web3, doesn't do that. It makes things more complicated. So you and I have worked in a world of e-com where, you have a one-click checkout, payment is instant. You're protected against fraud. Um, you don't have to look after your money and so on. And this is a world where none of that stuff uh, exists. You've got like multiple steps on a wallet to try and connect. You always feel like you're being fished, even if you are um, computer literate. You feel like you're being fished all the time. And you know, something like the, the Bitcoin, just to choose an example. And you know, every time I criticize one of these things, people say, "Well, Bitcoin's and crypto, and crypto is a web thing, you know, whatever." It's um what they call a no true scotsman fallacy you know whatever you critique will say oh that's not the thing but let's just use bitcoin as an example so bitcoin does about seven transactions a second it will never get faster because the algorithm is anti-efficient so satoshi's original algorithm 15 years ago um you could mine a coin on a normal laptop uh, from 2008 and you can't do that anymore you need you know data centers to do that so it's intentionally anti-efficient meanwhile you know visa mastercard um hate to say it, but great innovators in tech and innovating you know, doing what, maybe 50,000 transactions a second. So it seems odd to go from a world like that to a world where things are slow. And I do think, you know, uh, there's a lot of press around energy usage and the energy use of Bitcoin being uh, more than most countries, but something that doesn't get enough um, airtime is the uh, hardware destruction. So today, the amortized cost of one bitcoin transaction in hardware is to iphone so every time you send a bitcoin tra- transaction imagine throwing your iphone in a bin and another one that's the amount of hardware that's used to do that and it's just a horrendous use of um computing power obviously um we've seen that gpus have been able to in the last week uh, last couple of months with ai do actually useful things like immediately we can see so all that gpu power could be used for something else and it's just uh, it's so painful to see an anti-efficient algorithm like that the other thing so that, I mean that's crypto in general that technologically it makes no sense it's hard to use uh, or whatever uh, nfts I can get into but you know nfts have got many of the same problems so you know they the protocol themsel- itself points to uh, a, a digital asset that is normally hosted on a file server somewhere so there's no protection against the asset um and, uh, nfts you don't normally store the asset on the Ethereum chain, so like because the Ethereum chain is too hard and expensive to use, so no one does that. And if you know anything about the history of technology, you'll know that taking punt on a platform being the one that's around in 10 years is a you know generally a bad idea. So if you think about Netscape or MySpace or even Facebook nowadays, these are the platforms that tend to die off eventually uh, and, and someone else replaces them. So it's absolutely bananas that we would make a bet that Ethereum is, is the internet next. Nice little fact about the Ethereum main chain. So, a Raspberry Pi, you know, the little computer that kids yeah. use, um, I think that's capable of around three million ads a second, um, which is about five thousand times more efficient than the Ethereum virtual computer. Right. So we've gone from like a world of basically post scarcity computing power where you and I can do anything we want with streaming and. The internet and gaming, whatever it is, to a world of like artificial limits. So that's the technology. Second problem um, is the uh, politics of it, which has got this kind of ugly techno uh, libertarianism or cyber libertarianism, which is um, this idea that, you know, basically all, all post Renaissance thinking is bad and institutions are bad, centralization is bad, um, normally sort of grievance orientated Men, you know, making these comments about it, and uh, it's a bit like talking to a sixteen-year-old about politics. You know, a lot of these guys have not read books, so like SBF famously didn't read any books, and you you can tell, right? Like when you talk to them about the history of ideas or political organizing or whatever. So immature um, political appreciation, and all money is political, so it is important. Final one uh, is the economics of it all. So any any coin, uh, including Bitcoin. Uh, the only future cash flow comes from someone else buying the coin, right? There is no, it's not like buying a a stock of even a poorly performing company that in theory is doing something useful and receiving revenue from customers for that. And that's where you get returns in the long run. Um, There is nothing except a greater fool buying the coin later, which is a Ponzi scheme. And this whole thing, you know, this is the reason it's going in the toilet at the minute, right? Like when people don't have the money and the dream dies, it collapses. Um, and there's a great deal of resilience in that and i'm sure that there'll be waves of of bitcoin and it will always have a use in either illegal uses um, or just gambling no i don't think gambling should be illegal so fine um but as some kind of revolutionary technology you know i'm not so optimistic
0: that makes sense yeah and i think uh, a lot of people seem to be kind of moving more towards that view at least around kind of some of the more mainstream aspects of it um so sub question again so shopify um obviously you know at the heart of your business and your career for the last 10 plus years have invested a lot of time and energy in web3 and at various points you know it's been a big focus for them do you think this will continue or do you think this was just you know i guess like their opportunity to kind of capitalize around hype and demand
1: I think a lot of founders and VCs that made it in Web2 felt like this was going to feel like that again, right? Like they wanted to believe, and I think Andreessen Horowitz is the um, biggest criminal in this regard, that they wanted to feel like, hey, this is like the 90s again or the 2000s and we're early and it's so exciting and we're revolutionizing everything. But like I just said, you know, there is no underlying pinning to, to what they were trying to do. And maybe the same happened at Shopify. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think, you know, Toby's a developer. And I think as a developer, it's nice to think that we might be changing the world somehow. Um, I don't know. I think the other thing is Shopify deals with a lot of hype brands, you know, that probably could use NFT. I mean, NFT at the end of the day is a beebling um, good, which is a good that the amount you pay for how little it actually is worth is the state. So like, when you buy a handbag from like a luxury brand, you know it doesn't cost that much to make, but you're you're buying it for the status value, which is what an NFT is. And um, okay, maybe there's some streetwear brands that will do it. Whether or not they should have put that many developers onto it at a time when their share price was collapsing, you know, is, I think a good question. I don't think I would have done that. Um, so not too optimistic. I think once the hype dies off, hopefully they can disband that team and at least focus on doing something um, useful. Uh, I've got a good story about uh, e-commerce uh, NFT so Starbucks finally launched their NFT uh, thing at the end of last year um which had the aura of a corporate initiative that had rumbled through from the hype point of 2021 crypto and finally got around to being released embarrassingly a year later when everybody kind of realized that all this stuff was um you know worth very little I say so they announced this NFT release on starbucks and a lot of people felt like it was like you know giving cpr to to web3 but a lot of people don't know the same day they announced that they announced the new measures uh against unionized starbucks so if you are if you are a starbucks that unionizes you don't get access to the same benefits which is obviously not great pr Mm -hmm. so my hot take is they announced nfts on the same day so they would get the hype that would cover the story about anti-unionization and therefore that is the only documented use of an nft that makes
0: sense and uh yeah interesting uh use of that um So last question and sticking on Web3, are there, uh, and I guess you have already touched on this a little bit, but are there any kind of positive use cases of anything kind of within Web3 or blockchain that you think are relevant to e-commerce businesses
1: and brands? Uh, No. So Web3 is a justification to find a use for the blockchain. But the problem is the blockchain is normally an inferior way of implementing something, right? So so uh, uh, one I one I hear quite a lot is you know a luxury brand like you know one of the LVmh brands could use blockchain to like trace the provenance of their cloak right in the secondary market. but why would a a party that trusts itself do that right you could just do that in a mySQL database right way way easier and way more reliably and without wasting so much money and computing power so there there are very few well there's no applications where not using a blockchain, uh or, sorry when using a blockchain is preferable and the two big you know another thing another cpr moment with web3 was the australian stock exchange claiming they were going to move to blockchain and Musk, the global shipping uh company attempting a blockchain project both of which were discontinued up in last year because it doesn't work and you may as well build the same thing with database so um no, probably not. I'm also quite a big fan of deletion, you know, as in the concept of deleting things, which, if you want a definition of blockchain, it's, it is an append only database. And they've been around since about 1979. A uh, Merkle tree was the first implementation. And Satoshi's blockchain was just a, a different type, a, a sort of trustless version. Um, but deletion is quite a helpful concept. So in banking, you know, there's plenty of times we, we reverse transactions when things have gone wrong. Um, if you want to think about blockchain applications for things like social media, imagine an uncensorable social media where doxing, you know, child pornography, or whatever, could be put on the chain and never removed. But it, the, the moment these ideas hit reality, there's all sorts of flaws that mean that they should never be implemented. The big one that comes up a lot is security. You know, twelve billion dollars lost so far on hacks just by having the wrong key or giving your key away or whatever. And I think the underlying thing there that's interesting is the um, the, many of the the features of Web3 are not desirable for normal people, or most people, right? So it's a bit like someone saying, hey, everybody could host their own web server if they wanted to host their own website, right? Which is what people used to say in the 90s. And of course, no one wants to do that. Even if you know how to do that, you don't want to do that. You'd rather just pay someone else to deal with it and not think about it. And there's a great deal of um, uh, efficiency that comes with centralization, that comes with like us having institutions and businesses that thrive on one thing. So uh, not optimistic, and hopefully it's going to pass. I think AI is going to do it in because a lot of these insufferable people that just follow the latest trends, they'll, will, they'll move on to AI. And I do think there is more legs in AI. I mean, in the last two months, we've seen more applications of AI than we've seen from blockchain in 15 years. So I think <laughs> Once the talent goes, and I'll I'll end the question on this note. Once the talent goes on something else, uh, that will be a good day. Because one of the saddest things about this whole debacle is the amount of talent and money that has gone on uh, this like fool's errand of Web three. When we could have been building real stuff, um, real technology that makes businesses better, faster operate uh, in a more efficient way, create real jobs, um, create real value, and instead we've it's almost like a performance a performance art moment where we've taken the worst excesses of capitalism and the world we live in and tried to do it even faster um on web three. So not optimistic.
0: Um yeah, I think that's uh yeah, always super interesting hearing your views on this stuff. Um yeah, and I think you know, well, um I guess my next my last kind of closing point or question to you is going to be if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way to do it but i think in addition to that you've got a blog right that was originally like um a bit of an alter ego and then now uh really good stuff on it uh so what's the address
1: of that it's web2boomer (laughs) web2boomer.com uh so I slowed down writing on it when when it all collapsed or when FTX collapsed. I kind of felt like I've had enough of this stuff and I kind of felt like my own time was being wasted on articulating this stuff a little bit. I think I'll write about it again because I do think there's a lot of interesting lessons from it and I think anthropologically it's interesting how people have behaved and the 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 uh, the gold rush that was the the good old days and the the the, 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 uh, the um criticisms of the technology are all quite interesting so i'll probably continue but i'm also keen to keep writing about things that are going to help people more so you know if i if i'm in a position of being like a bro that is being uh thinking i can just buy a shit coin and kind of go to the moon um i want to reach those people and say hey you know you can actually make a good living in tech by you know building real value which is something that we've both done so keep to get that message out so I'm gonna be writing more about that this year. Um so hopefully that's an optimistic note.
0: Great. Yeah no yeah I would recommend checking that out There's some really good content on there. And then if people do want to get in touch with
1: you like yeah that's oh, the yeah. best way to do so. So uh i on Twitter web two boomer um uh, my email is alex at aob always willing to well not always willing sometimes willing to chat to people uh so yeah reach out uh, check out the blog web2boomer and uh, sorry, if there's, sorry if you can hear drilling in the background that's my jacuzzi getting fixed wow living the
0: dream over there in uh, Miami um, lovely so yeah thanks everyone for listening uh, and tuning in um, as always if you're listening on YouTube uh, give us a like follow us um, James usually does his closing bit so I can't remember the other bits he says but yeah thanks for listening and um, thanks for like, us.
1: follow, subscribe
0: that's it. Yeah, it's all of those. things. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.